This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Rock Community Podcast. Thanks again for stopping by and giving us a listen. Please don't forget to write us a five-star review at the end of the episode when you're done listening. We always do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast music-related platform. It's got a bunch of podcasts that have all different types of topics relating to music. There's something for everyone there. I always make mention of it. They're a great, great platform. And uh, go check out some of my friends over there, too, as well. There's God, there's probably like four dozen different music-related podcasts, so they all do a great job. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pantheon Pods, and you can do the same with The Hook Rocks. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and now Threads as of last week. We're still trying to get that going and still trying to figure that out, but rest assured, we will have a presence there pretty soon, and don't forget to set your app on your podcast app, I should say, to automatic download. So you get the latest episode right to your phone and you're able to enjoy all the previous episodes that we've done. We recently celebrated our 500th episode with Dax Nielsen from Cheap Trick. Great discussion about his career. It's not what a lot of you may think, being the son of the legendary guitar player Rick Nielsen. So check that out. He was great. I've uh, known Dax for quite a while now, so it was great to have him on um, as a, as a lone guest, we had him and Rick on earlier this year in February. We also welcomed Nita Strauss for our four year anniversary show. So we had a lot of celebrations going on last week and she was great. She talked about her new album called The Void and it was great to have Nita on. She just had some big news this weekend too. So check out her social media and you can check out all that and what she's got going on along with her new album. And we had some new music spotlights recently with Mitch McCauley from Moon Fever and Jax Hollow, great singer-songwriter who I'm really high on. Uh, we also talked with our audio professor, Skylab, about the Expona 
convention here in Chicago talking about all the upcoming technology in digital audio and sonic sounds. And he's always great, brings a lot of different information. So check that out. We also did our live album review, our quarterly live album review with Cheap Trick at Budokan with Rob in the hood, great super fan here on Twitter. We watch him. We welcome Jimmy Kimmel's guitarist, Toshi Inagi. And he spoke about his influence with Eddie Van Halen and some other ones too throughout the year. We had Kip Winger. We had Josh Todd, George Lynch. We had both Don Jameson and Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy on. And of course, as I mentioned, Rick Nielsen and Dax Nielsen. I'm really excited about our next guest. I say that about every guest, but I truly <laughs> am. Um, you know, when we started this podcast, the main focus was about new music and new rock music. And I was so passionate about it. I still am about all the new bands that are out there and all the new artists that are making music. I, in my opinion, feel that the music today is just as good as any era of music previously, whether it's the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever it is. And the only difference is, is it doesn't have an outlet like a lot of those decades had. It doesn't have rock radio. It doesn't have MTV. And it's kind of really fragmented um, in terms of how you can find your new music. And there really isn't one place or one singular place where you can go. And throughout my time doing podcasting, I've come across several different podcasters who feel the same way. And I came across this website through social media called Banded PR. Um, and I was really interested in what they're doing because they do focus a lot on the new artists. And they also focus a lot on music, too, as well. And I, I've been fascinated just by watching them grow and do the things that they do. And I'm happy to welcome the head of Banded PR, and that is Rebecca Potzner. How are you? How are you doing? I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you again for doing this. It's going to be great getting to know you over the next hour and kind of what you do and why you started this. Um, and we're going to get into a, a lot of different things. But I like to start the same way we always do. Every time we have a first time guest and really what we're all about here at the hook rocks. And just like every rock song has a hook that pulls you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, an album, a song or a performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, my gosh. I feel like I can think of a few moments, but I. I'm going to take it back to Van Halen. Um, they were just a huge soundtrack to my childhood. My parents were huge Van Halen fans, both eras. Um, and I just remember driving around in my dad's truck, listening to Van Halen and my, my parents quizzing us, um, asking to see if we could tell if it was a David Lee Roth song or a Sammy Hagar song. So um, I think those moments kind of stick out for me a lot. And it's kind of been uphill ever since. <laughs> I've always said that a good parent uh, teaches their children that are there are two singers in Van Halen. Well, actually, there's three. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. two big ones. You know, right? Um, Van Halen was a big impact on me too, as well. Uh, growing up, and you know, the the '80s, um, and just the impact of David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen. It was so much fun. It was nothing, mm. you know, other than that. I mean, you'd listen to it. You're always in a good mood. Uh, it had so much to, you know, so much wonder in the music or caused you to have so much wonder because they were doing things that not a lot of artists were doing at that time. Not a lot of bands were doing at that time. 
What was about Van Halen like, in terms of the song? What was your favorite Van Halen song? Oh, goodness. Um, it's so hard for me to choose, but I think I go back to a lot of uh, the songs on the self-titled album. Um, they're just classic Van Halen. Um, but uh, I also love Sammy Hagar stuff, too. So I, it's really hard for me to just pick one. <laughs> it is. You know, both eras are great. And I get frustrated that we still have this conversation, you know, that Van Halen sucked after Daily Roth left. And, uh, you know, the way I look at it is what Van Halen would have been had David Lee Roth had stayed. And I think it would have sounded like the Sammy era, because if you look at 1984, how they were evolving with the keyboards, they were going right. in that direction. And I I think the only difference is, is that Sammy is able to sing the songs that I don't think David could have. Like on Dreams and some other songs too as well. I think the range with Sammy was much better, but they were going to do that music regardless of who the singer was. Didn't matter. Right. Yeah. Their music was going to evolve uh, more into the style of the 80s and 90s and so on. So I agree for sure. Yeah. Cause I mean, Eddie kept evolving, right? And Eddie, there right. was a lot that he wanted to do. And, you know, for him, I always thought the guts that he had being this guitar icon to start an album off with a keyboard instrumental and to jump has had mm-hmm. so much guts to it. You know, I, I mean, yeah. And I admired him for that. And I, mm-hmm. I like all bands that evolve. I mean, we talk about Led Zeppelin a lot on this show too. When you look at the first album in 68 through the last album in 1979 with in through the outdoor, there's a complete evolution of sound with that band. And I think, Many fans forget the need of someone who's creative or pretty much the need for anyone to evolve, right? We all evolve as people throughout time. And as we evolve as people and for creating something, that's going to evolve too, because it's a reflection of who we are and what we're doing. Exactly. And I love that Eddie Van Halen always was, you know, trying out new things and letting his creativity go. Um, even if that might not be the norm of the music at the time. Um, We got some great pieces out of it. Yeah. And that's the thing too. The whole body of work is just tremendous. And the Sammy stuff was great too, because I think I was probably, I think I was like fifth or sixth grade when Sammy joined the band. So I was still evolving with my musical taste too. So yeah, it wasn't the same, Mm -hmm. but now as we look back, like I said, they were going to do that. Regardless of, you know, and, and David didn't really like the direction of the band that it was going, but, you know, the, as, as the story goes, at least. So I think we just need to take a little bit of a deep breath every time we, we say that shit we brought keyboards into the band because the keyboards are already there. Um, and they were going to get right. More. Yeah. So, so like I said, I'm, I'm fascinated about what you and your team does. Because, as, you know, we started this podcast, as I mentioned in the beginning, primarily to showcase new music. And, yes, you know, mm-hmm. we have legacy artists on. Um, and we talk about, about the music business and our commentary on that. But those are, in a way, a way to bring an audience to the younger crowd, right? Or to the younger mm-hmm. people to appreciate the younger bands, the newer bands. And kind of 
more or less flip them into, oh, let's check out this new music spotlight that they're doing, who this band is. So I just listened to this interview with whoever. And one of the things that's always been frustrating with me and, and other podcasters, as we've discussed, is really the lack of interest in especially people with an older generation. And while I like what you guys do is that you guys seem to really push it towards a younger demographic, which I think is Mm -hmm. awesome. And I think that's what rock needs is to have younger fans because that's really where, because those fans will grow with them as they grow in their careers. When you were planning this and starting this, what did you want to accomplish and what was the plan for you to do Bandit PR? Well, it like bands and we as people in general, it has evolved from what it, what my plan was in the beginning to what it is now. Um, at the start, truly, it was just about me wanting an outlet to write about artists that I was really excited about. Um, I was kind of tired of writing for other outlets, having kind of rules of what I could write about. Um, so I'm like, let's just start my own outlet. Um, and then it's really, our goal is to write about what we're passionate, passionate about, um, and just uplift the artists that we believe in and, uh, get the music out of artists that we think should have bigger audiences. Um, we believe in every artist we cover, um, if I always say to our writers, if you don't like it, you don't have to cover it. Um, but if you're passionate about it, go for it, cover it, uh, write it, interview them. Um, we just want to help spread the music um, that we love and think deserves a spotlight. But, you know, that no rules idea that you have, I think is really what mm-hmm. throttles discovery in in other platforms whether it's you know print media whether it's online magazines whether it's even the throttling that happens on streaming platforms we live in a day and age where you kind of live in your own bubble not purposely Mm -hmm. but without you even knowing it because you know whether you're listening to spotify or whatever platform you use they're going to keep giving you what you listen to and they're not going to give you anything else. So if you're listening to Zeppelin, Van Halen, Aerosmith, ACDC, you're going to be in a classic rock bubble and you're not mm-hmm. going to find or hear anything new. And, you know, if you're interested in all that stuff, that's why you don't go seek out new music. You really have to, to go and find it if you want it. And nothing's more frustrating for me when I hear people say, Oh, there's no, good rock music or I can't find any new rock music. I mean, it's, I hear it probably on a weekly basis and it's like, I understand mm-hmm. why they can't find it. It's and it's a lot of it. People don't have the time or people don't make time to do it because they've never really had to make time to go find something. Cause it's always been at their fingertips at either on the finger, you know, ch- changing the knob on a radio or, changing the channel on a, on a, you know, for a video on a, an MTV or whatever it is. And I think that was really where it starts is there are a lot of rules now with what you can listen to, what you can write, what you can read. And if you're not 
exposed to the alternatives and how you can get around it, you'll be in that bubble of that ongoing cycle of what you know instead of what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the whole, you know, there's no new rock or rock is dead thing kind of fuels what we do um, because we want to prove that that's wrong and that there is really great rock music out there. And I think that's what's really great about our staff picks playlist because there are truly no rules. It is every genre of rock, rock, metal, uh, maybe even like current pop disco stuff. It ranges from everything. So it allows for that discovery um, from any type of genre. Um, well-known artists and artists you probably don't know as well. So you're kind of maybe reeled in by ACDC, but then you find a Dirty Honey or a Max Saturn or a Starbenders. All great bands indeed. Mm-hmm. When you look at the landscape of new music and new rock music, you you go to a lot of shows. You you take a lot of pictures. Your photography is incredible. Thank you. How do you pick who to see and what are you seeing when you go see them in terms of the demographics of the crowd? Mm-hmm. I go to as many shows as I possibly can. Um, if my night is free, I will go just to check out an artist I've heard of. Um, and then there's artists that I've been listening to for a long time that I try to uh, make an effort to check out. Um, as for what I'm seeing at the shows, it's truly a wide range. Um, I think there's a lot of really young people at these shows, which is super exciting. But there's also an older demographic as well. Um, like my mom went to go see Max Saturn with me. Um, and so that show was a lot of younger people, but there were some of the older generation there as well. Uh, same with Dirty Honey, Greta Van Fleet. It's all, it's a very wide range, which is honestly really cool to see. The first time I saw Greta had to be 2018, I want to say. And it was at a place called Lincoln Hall in Chicago. I think they had, I think they had like a 200 capacity place. And they blew the doors off of it. And mm-hmm. I noticed there was a lot more people my age at the show, which is great. But as I've watched their social media and their TikTok and their Instagram, I have seen a lot of growth in the younger crowd, which is which is happy. I'm happy to see that because that's mm-hmm. that's how bands become viable. Um right. Are you seeing the same thing, you know, from when you saw a band maybe a few years ago to now where there's more younger people coming to a rock show? Yeah, I would say with Greta Van Fleet, the first time I saw them was 2018 as well. Um, I think it's, they do a great job of branding themselves um, and getting the attention of the younger crowd, which is great because they're feeling um, their path to, you know, playing bigger venues and just getting their music out there. Um I think one of them, uh, Dirty Honey, I think is the same too. There's a lot more uh, of a younger crowd showing up. But I think it's interesting is they toured with Mammoth WVH. And I think his crowd 
kind of still veers a little bit more on the older side. And I don't know if that's just because he's pulling in the Van Halen demographic. Um, but I'm curious to see how his audience grows through um, these upcoming years. Yeah, me too. I, I saw the same tour and I do think his last name has a lot to do with the demographic that comes to the shows. The other band that I see with a lot of younger people enjoying their music. And I'm talking like junior high teenagers and high school teenagers is the warning. The, yeah. the warning really seems to have captured from the very beginning a younger audience, which is a lot different than the Greta's and the Dirty Honeys and other bands where they kind of started off with that classic rock crowd because of the familiar tones and, and sounds. Whereas when I've seen the warning live, mm-hmm. it's a lot of young people. And I think it's indicative about how they market themselves and how they began because they began in the basement of their parents' house, you know, singing Metallica songs. And now they're this, they're becoming this huge sounding, all-female band that just completely rips and kicks ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've only caught them at a festival, so it's, uh, I, I can't quite speak on their crowd, but um, they are playing here soon, so I will be catching that. But they do, they're incredibly talented women, and I'm excited to see their audience grow as well. Yeah, I'm really, I I think at some point, and I've said this, that they will be the 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 queens of the mountain when it's all mm-hmm. done because I just think that they they hit a lot of different um, crowds and interests in in their music and yeah they're very extremely talented when you when you look at the bands that are out there and and you look at what is needed for audiences to grow in your opinion how does a band do that how does a band go from playing in their garage or their basement and streaming stuff to a dozen people that they know to building it fan by fan. Mm -hmm. I think one, get out there and play shows as many shows as you can. um, Cause that's the biggest, easiest way you're going to get people. Um, you're going to get their attention. And then when you're playing those shows, I think it's so important. And I think a lot of bands kind of skip out on this is just interacting with the fans in person or even on social media. I think that, you know, making that direct fan connection is so important and goes a really, really long way um, because those fans are going to remember, you know, um, talking to the band after their set um, and the fact that they took the time to um, talk to them um, and share their music after they just played a set is something that fans will appreciate. Um, So I think just making that direct fan connection is such a big deal. Um, And I don't see a ton of artists doing that. Yeah. It seems like there's two camps. You know, there's one camp that, they tried to pick and choose where they play. And I understand because mm-hmm. the the rising cost of fuel to get from show to show, the rising cost of, of, of food while you're on the road, it is a huge expense to do a tour. Mm-hmm. It's not cheap. And the payout for a lot of these bands is is next to nothing, unfortunately. 
Um, you know, and then you have the problem that a lot of bands are having in this year is that because there's such a backlog of bands that want to tour because of the pandemic, a lot of dates are getting filled at venues across the country because I, I think I was talking to Tuck Smith and he said that there's five to seven holds on every venue that when you try to put together a tour and do it where it makes sense and try to be most efficient with fuel costs and everything, it's, it's very difficult to do. So that's a huge mm-hmm. challenge. And I also believe too, though, that if you're going to do things strategically, which a lot of bands I think are kind of going to because they have to at this point, you have to right. do it in a smart way. And, you know, I always talk about bands if, if they come to Chicago, where we're from, you can do a, a show in Chicago. You can do a show in the suburbs. You can go up to Wisconsin, to Milwaukee and Madison. You can go over to Indianapolis, which is three and a half hours away. You can do like a cluster of shows pretty much in a two-week span where you can do things pretty efficiently. Now, a lot of that determines on the venues and if they're open, you know, and and they don't have other other bands filling those dates. But also, if you do a festival, festivals, you get a lot of bang for your buck because you have a larger audience to play for. And plus, you get more money Mm -hmm. for the festivals. And I've talked to artists where they'll just do festivals the whole summer and then try to do something in the fall before winter and then something in the early spring, go back to that festival circuit that they do. Are are you finding the same thing in the conversations you have with bands that that's kind of what they're doing too as well? Yeah, I, I am seeing that a lot. I also think that it's important to play a couple hometown shows. Um, I think there are a lot of bands that, you know, I don't know if they think they're too big for that, but I think it's really important to build your home base as well. Um, I, like you said before, I know there are a lot of holds, but maybe there's a new venue that you haven't worked with yet and you can explore that option. But um, I think playing hometown shows is really important. And then also um, being strategic is another thing that you pointed out. Um, I think is super important for bands to do as well. Um, cause I've, I've worked with a lot of bands and talked with a lot of bands. And sometimes I think artists just get excited to release their music and there's no real strategic plan behind it. Um, and I think your release is going to go a lot further if you are strategic about that release instead of just pushing it out at the end of the week. Um, So I am seeing a lot more people be strategic about their releases. And I've known about artists who have new music that they want to release, but it's taking a lot longer because they are taking that route and want to release it the right way. So um, I completely respect that decision and feel like that is the best way to go. I I just think that there's, like I said, you know, in the, in the beginning, there's really no direction. Things are very fragmented. There's really no way to do it, right? I mean, it used to be there was the way you do this, then you do that. It was like there were steps, mm-hmm. to and you also had a lot yeah. more vision with record companies. If you don't hit on the first song that you release, you are sadly forgotten about these days. You're not going to get mm-hmm. any more money to push your music, and it's pretty much over before it begins. 
Whereas a record label years ago would nurture a band, an artist, and really wait for that third album to hit to kind of see where all their work, if it's going to bear fruition at that point. And you just don't have mm-hmm. the patience. And now you have like, it, well, this has always been the case, right? Someone becomes popular. The record label wants to sign 10 bands that sound just like it. Right. So then you oversaturate the market. And, but that doesn't even happen with rock music anymore because there's just a, it seems like there's a push to completely eliminate it once the classic rock, mm-hmm. they're gone. And I don't understand why, because rock fans have always been there. They're very loyal. And, you know, I keep hearing that rock music doesn't make any money for labels or for management companies or all this stuff. Well, the reason why is because you keep getting rid of them. You keep kind of burying them. So there's no way for a band to really get noticed unless they really have a team around them. That's one thing about Dirty Honey and Greta is they have a fantastic team around them. But if you don't have that, mm-hmm. you really got to do it yourself. You really got to. And, and let's face it. A lot of these guys got in it to play music. They didn't get into it to become a social media expert and and market themselves. Right. A lot of them don't really know how to. So it's almost like an ongoing cycle that just never ends with. With there's only one way for rock music to get noticed or these new bands to get noticed. And that's if people play them and people represent them and people try to keep pushing them forward. I just don't understand what the, or I don't know what the right answer is for, for these upcoming bands. Yeah. I think it's, it's a little frustrating. I've talked with a few bands that have had record deals and, you know, I think oftentimes that is the goal for bands to get, get a deal. And multiple times I've had bands tell me that they're not getting the support from their label. They're doing all the work. And then eventually that label drops them or they end up um, ending the deal. Um, And it's just, it's very frustrating to see that happen because they are putting in the work and they're not getting the support back. And I think that's kind of where the band of PR team if we can just be a little bit of support in spreading the word of their music, um, we are very happy to do so. Before I get into the Bandit PR brand, um, mm-hmm. one last thought on you know the music, what you just kind of touched on. I think bands and artists need to stop looking for a record deal as the Agreed. definition of success. Mm-hmm. When you look at Tyler Bryant, who in the shakedown, they just released an independent independent record last fall. Um, and talking with Goodbye June, their next label, their next uh, album is going to be independent. And the reason why is, and they'll tell you, is because their work, they're doing all the work. They should keep all the money. Why are right. they paying someone else to do what they can do, and have to pay someone to do that? And I've heard from bands who have had record labels where they'll sell a pretty good number of units and they'll owe the record company all this money and the record company is not doing anything for them. Right. So I, I think it's imperative to stop, stop hoping for that record deal as your definition of success. Dirty Honey doesn't have a record label. Right. And, and in talking with John, right. Nico, I asked him 
last time I had him on, do you ever envision going to a record label? And he shrugged his shoulders and he said, if it makes sense, yeah. But the great thing about what we have is we have a great team around us that wants us to succeed, not just a cookie cutter model that they've used for other bands. And that's what they're going to use for Dirty Honey. So I think that's imperative, too, is to have that team around you that if you're going to pay them, they have a vested interest in seeing you succeed. And I think that's the record labels. They'll sign a whole bunch of bands, whether rock or rap or whatever. They're going to make their money, whether you're successful or not. And they're going to spend their time on the band that or the artist that's making them money. So then you can put into that. Well, forgotten mode so to speak but yeah i think i don't think a record label is needed anymore no i i i agree completely i think it's a lot about finding those people that are passionate about what you're doing and want to help you reach your goals not a label uh build your own team honestly for what banded pr does and for what you started there has to be some passion to do that Right. I mean, mm-hmm. promoting new rock is is a challenge in itself, not just not just being a band, but promoting it is, you know, I, I mean, when I do my new music spotlights, you know, those are usually the least listened to episodes that I have. And, yeah. you know, that's frustrating itself. But the passion I have always carries me through it. Where did you find your passion to start this? I have just always really been into music discovery. I remember spending hours and hours in high school just looking for new music that my friends weren't listening to, and I would make burn CDs. Um, So it's always something I've done. And then when Spotify came out, I was always making playlists of new music that I found. Um, And I just get really excited about things that I love. Um, So when the when I discover these bands, I want everyone to listen to them um, because I'm super excited about it. I've got that song on repeat. I want you to <laughs> be in that same space with me. Um, so I think that's kind of just where it sparked from. Um, and it's kind of just become a community of like-minded people that are really excited about rock and roll then and now. Um, and it's always fun to... Um, find new artists and share them and have people be like, Oh, I love this band. And I found it through your playlist or your interview. Um, So I think that's really gratifying and uh, to have people recommend bands as well. So that like constant communication between uh, other fans and even bands um, reach out to us too. Um, sharing new music or um, promoting their friends as well. So it's just a big community of rock fans. Was there a band or an artist that, you know, being who you are, that was new to the scene that really, really brought your idea of doing this to, to reality? Well, I will say when Greta Van Fleet first came out with Highway Tune, that song really pulled me in. And I was like, I need more of this. 
I need something that kind of is reminiscent of classic rock, but is new. And so that kind of spiraled me into this um, music discovery of finding new rock bands. And I think it, that's basically how all the, the Rock My Soul playlist that I have on the website, that was basically started because I needed more music <laughs> That's that got me as excited as Highway Tune did. Um, so, yeah, I guess thanks to Greta Van Fleet. <laughs> that's why we're here. It's very similar for me, too. I heard Highway Tune and I had it on repeat for like four hours. I'm like, this is incredible because I'm a huge Zeppelin fan. And there was a lot of Zeppelin influences there. Um, and I really appreciated what they were doing. And then I always uh, attribute going further to an article I read by Matt Wake. Um, that had, I think it was 10 other bands or whatever the number was to listen to other than Greta Van Fleet. And he's a big Greta fan too. And there were bands like, um, Starcrawler and, uh, Joyous Wolf and who else? I think Goodbye June was on there. I think the Struts were on there. So all these bands, Dirty Honey. And every band I listened to from that article, I was like, wow, these guys are really good. And it just dominoed from there of me listening mm-hmm. to other bands. And then probably like a year later with just growing frustrated with, you know, a lack of anyone really doing anything in terms of interviewing new bands. I decided I'm like, you know, I'm going to start a podcast and, you know, showcase some of these new bands. And I've just, it just snowballed into bands overseas and bands in other countries and bands here in the U S and, and um, it's been great. And I always say, as I said, in the beginning of the interview, that the music today is just as good as it's ever been. The artists are just mm-hmm. as good as it's ever been. And shame on people for having such a closed mind and not realizing that. Right. But what you guys do though, is like you said, you're building a community, you know, checking out your site and your social media. There's a presence of other people that are on or a part of Banded PR that do what you do. And you made mention that I think is a very important thing at the beginning is, you know, if you're not passionate about a band or an artist, don't write about it. Because mm-hmm. I, I believe the same thing. You're more you're more likely to to convey excitement when you're passionate about something. And when it just feels like a job, that's when you start mm-hmm. bands that you're not excited about. So I think that's key right there. But in, in doing what you do and having this community, bringing other people in, how how did it go from just you doing it to having other people be a part of Banded PR? Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Um, I think it was kind of just people reaching out. Um, you know, I started it and I think I had maybe one or two friends who had shared interest in it and, you know, they wrote a piece here and there, but I don't think they were really as passionate about it as I was. Um, and then I think, around when COVID hit and everyone had a little bit more downtime. I connected with a lot of Greta Van Fleet fans who were looking to um, gain experience in writing and interviewing. Um, And that kind of snowballed into creating this huge team. Um, Just about everyone on the staff is was found through Greta Van Fleet friends. Um, and every, everyone is just incredibly passionate about music and uh, wants to share um, new music from bands that they've discovered. Um, I never have to assign anything to anyone. They always come to me with ideas and artists they want to talk to. So it is truly fueled by passion and people just kind of you know, finding our site and liking what we do and reaching out and being like, Hey, I want to be a part of this. How do I get involved? So it truly is a community. It it really is. Um, And like our staff, we have a Slack channel um, where we kind of talk about ideas, but we also just kind of talk about life music. It truly is a little music community. Looking at what you do and how you do it, and it's 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 labeled as like you know banded PR public relations. Mm-hmm. Do you do any services for artists or bands that are young or up and coming? Uh, so it is called banded PR because that was my main goal in the beginning. Um, I originally had a music website that um, kind of looked at the music industry in a PR mindset. So kind of breaking down like different um, activations I saw or how uh, people were branding themselves. Um, And I kind of wanted to keep that because I have done some work with artists um, and 
I hope to continue doing that. We don't do a lot now just because the website has grown so much and it keeps me busy, but I'm always happy to uh, help with branding advice. I've written a couple of press releases for some artists or helped rewrite their bios. So it's kind of always in the back. If uh, artists we believe in need some help, we're happy to help there. What band do you feel is, well, we could say this about every band, you know, if if you think about it, but what band, especially to you, you feel should have a larger audience? Oh my gosh. I really couldn't say (laughs) just about everyone. Um, Hmm. This is such a good question. Just because they're at the... Well, okay, I have two, I think. I would say Crown Lands. I don't know if you're... How familiar you are with them, but... Very familiar, yeah. Yeah, their work is incredible. Um, And I wish a lot more people (laughs) knew about them. Yeah, I would love to see Crown Lands in concert if they get down to the states i know they did a tour with uh greta i think the closest they played to chicago though was mm-hmm. Bay, uh wisconsin and um i just want to go because i want to see how two people can make that much music yes me too and the fact that their drummer does most of the vocals is i can't imagine <laughs> it's got to be incredible what I love about them when I had them on a couple years ago, I think it was, is they're very socially conscious about issues that are important to them. Um, I know mm-hmm. they do a lot about Native Americans and the struggle in Canada. Um, and I mm-hmm. appreciate some of the music that they've done because of that. And I, and I do think for a lot of the new bands, there is a, a social awareness too as well. Um, we live in an, in an era where I think most people just because of social media are socially aware of things, whether what your opinion on it is one thing, that's a whole different topic, but I do like the Mm -hmm. fact that they really do embrace that in their music. And it's very, it makes it a lot more interesting with not just the way the arrangements are in the music, but where, where the lyrics carry you on the journey. Mm Mm-hmm. It's very powerful. Um, I I really do appreciate how much they advocate for, um, you know, their area and the people in their community and, and the history. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot just following them on social media. And it it really does translate into their music and takes you on this on this very elaborate journey. You said he had two bands. What was the other one? I was going to say Max Saturn too. Um, but I, I think they are really gaining momentum and I think they're going to get a lot larger of a fan base uh, while out on tour with the struts right now. So. Yeah. The struts are great live. They're a band that is just absolutely incredible. Talk about stage presence. It's just off the charts. Oh my gosh. Yes. Luke Spiller is an incredible front man. Absolutely. When I, I took my son, 
I think he was 15 or 16 at that time. Nick Perry was the opening act on the tour and my son really enjoyed it. And I said, well, that's how a front man used to be. They were all like that. And mm-hmm. now you have different personalities and different, different uh, approaches, but that he's really a throwback to that seventies, eighties era of all yes. eyes on him. You can't take your eyes off of him. Yes. He 100% is. And when you think about bands like Greta and you think about Dirty Honey, the Struts, Dorothy, I would include in that list as well, how they have slowly but surely taken that next step. Um, you know, Dorothy is getting a lot more of a presence now, too, especially, you know, collaborating with Nita Strauss and being on the label that she's on, which seems to be very supportive. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's Jay Z's record label that she's on. And then you look at what Greta's doing. They're about to release a new album as well as Dirty Honey. And we talked about the success that they're having. There does seem to be a slower than normal trajectory for these bands. And it's really indicative about how the industry has become where they're kind of forgotten about. So they kind of have to have their own team to force their way onto the playground. Yeah. Uh, it is interesting to watch. Um, I think it's been the steady climb for Greta. Uh, same with Dorothy. I think her last album really catapulted her though. Um, cause I feel like she is everywhere now, which is incredible to see because that album is really great. And I think it, I, it does seem that her label is supporting her and putting her out there. Um, and she's playing those festivals and she's touring as well. So the support is definitely there. Now, as far as, you know, getting back to Bandit PR, you talked about trading ideas with your staff and the people that you have on your team. You know, what are some of the ideas that you've seen you guys build that has been successful? Well, there, so for the past, I think two or three years, um, during December, we do how banded stole Christmas. And that is a huge idea brainstorm thing that came about where we were just trying to get artists involved and directly in front of our viewers. Um, so that looked like Instagram takeovers, special performances on Instagram live or um, on our YouTube. And I think having those artists, you know, right there in the feed um, playing their music was such a big deal. Um, one, it was a lot more exciting than us throwing up a photo and saying, go visit our website. But um, people really got to see um, these artists' personality, um, how they sound live, um, especially I think the first year um, it was during COVID, so no one was really seeing anything live. So that was a nice little treat. But um, I think if you can just get people to listen in that first click, um, not even a click, just a scroll um, it really grabs their attention. And I think the artists really appreciated doing that um, and got really great feedback from new fans. So I think that's one of the biggest, most successful ideas we've um, 
had as a team. And we hope to continue to do that. What social media platform is the most effective for a new band promoting themselves? Well, I, you know, I hate to say it. Do I hate to say it? I don't know. But I think TikTok is, whether you love it or hate it, is the best uh, platform right now just because it's so easy to discover music. I mean, the algorithm works so well. And because I interact with the Struts, Greta, Max Saturn, uh, Dorothy, all of those bands, I'm fed videos of smaller bands like um, Cinema Stereos always um, popping up and uh, Royal Sugar from Nashville um, is doing great work on TikTok. And if you are consistent and you are true to you and your brand, I think TikTok is a great way to really um, find your audience and connect with them. Yeah, I, I know it's very beneficial for a lot of bands. I, I do. I just hate what it what it's about, and I hate the platform in general. Um, we've done a lot of coverage on the negative side of TikTok, and especially in the UK, you know, where they're collecting data on people as young as eight years old, and you know how who owns TikTok and how they use it just to collect. It's, it's basically a, a form of you know data collection, but I do understand that it's necessary. And I also know that off the record, mm-hmm. pretty much every artist has told me how much they hate it. Um, which, yeah. but they also, understand, <laughs> they also understand that, you know, they have to do it and it's, they, they kind of do it kicking and screaming. Um, but you got, you have to embrace it, especially because a lot of young people are on it and view things and whatever, how many second intervals they do. And hopefully it parlays into success. I guess that's my question about TikTok is, has there been someone to quantify the success on TikTok with success on growing an audience. Is, is that even able, are you able to even do that mm-hmm. to, to quantify that? I don't know. Maybe, you know, differently. Uh, you know, I don't know either. Um, I, I think it just depends on so many different things, but like, so Royal sugar, I think does an incredible job of, building an audience on TikTok. Um, and, I, and I do think that you can kind of see um, because of their TikTok efforts, they are getting more streams on Spotify and getting the word out about their band. So maybe there is kind of like, I don't know if you can quantify it, but I think you can kind of see it translate over in different ways. But I also think TikTok, maybe if you don't want to be on it, at least think in the mindset of TikTok and let that kind of fuel your creative ideas. Cause I think it does um, push artists to be more creative on how to get their music out there and just um, introduce their band to new audiences. So if you're thinking that way and you like Instagram better and you don't want to be on TikTok, put that creative effort into your Instagram reels or, um, you know, just find different ways to use that TikTok creativity where you want to be. Because I don't think, I think it's important to put your energy into where you want to be. Um, 
I don't think you should spread yourself too thin with social media outlets just because you feel the need to be there. And if you don't agree with what TikTok's doing, I don't think you need to overstep your boundaries and do that just because that's what everyone else is doing. What's the social media platform that an artist, new band, shouldn't spend a lot of time on because it's harder to grow an audience through that platform? I honest, well, it's so hard. I would say Facebook. Um, I am seeing a lot of artists. They are, they are on there, but they're not putting a ton of effort. You know, there's show announcements, there's new merch drop announcements, and that's the extent of it. Maybe occasionally a photo from a show if they're on a tour. Um, I think it's important to, you know, have your tour dates up listed as events because people surprisingly still use that feature. Um, but I just don't know if putting all your effort into creating content for Facebook is going to help you out as much. Who are some of the artists that you feel do it very well? I mean, we've talked about Dirty Honey. We've talked about Greta. But, I mean, is there an artist out there that really has a killer social media presence? And you can now, you can understand how they keep growing their audience. Um, again, I would say Royal here in Nashville. Uh, they just had their first show ever, really, um, a couple months, last June. And, uh, their audience is huge and it's because they're um, keeping up on their, their TikToks and their reels and, you know, um, responding to fans. Um, like one of they did a cover of Harry Styles medicine and it's because I commented asking for it. So they're, they're listening to their fans and creating content based off of that, um, which has been really cool to see. Um, and like I said earlier, you can, you can see their Spotify listens go up because they're they're really pushing um, content on those platforms. Um, and I, I honestly think a lot of local bands, there's a local band here in Cincinnati called Trauma Illinois, and they've really been focusing on doing TikToks and reels and, um, you know, tapping into the other bigger, newer rock band um, audiences. Um, and I think that's really great to see newer, smaller rock bands do that as well. What do you guys, or where do you foresee banded PR moving forward? What, what are you, what are you looking to do? What more are you looking to do? Uh, we are definitely in a rebrand regrowth period where we are kind of brainstorming where we want to see banded PR go. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more video interviews. I hope at some point we do have a podcast. Um, I'm not quite sure what that will look like, but I would love it to be kind of like a radio show where we showcase the songs that we're um, really liking and are featured on our playlist or, you know, maybe we're interviewing an artist and they have a new song. Um, I think it's just going to be very visual and um, 
it's still going to focus on highlighting new, new artists and artists that we're very, very passionate about. What, um, what are some of the, I mean, you mentioned a couple of bands like the band in Tennessee, um, in Nashville and a couple other new bands too, as well. But as far as right now, a band that's, you know, starting at the beginning, like a Jack's hollow, who's just released her second album. That's an artist I'm really excited about. Um, Leilani Kilgore is an artist that I'm really excited about, about where they're, where she's going. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as not, not just you, but as a staff in general, what, um, what artists, what bands do you see other than ones that you've mentioned that, that are really exciting the group, exciting your, your, your staff? Uh, we are really excited about Hannah Wickland. Um, we recently had an interview with her go up. Um, she's getting ready to release a new album. And we're really excited about that. I love her uh, Bomb Through the Breeze. It I've been a fan of hers for years. So I'm really excited to see her release this and just gain more fans through the years. Um, who else am I excited about? There's just so many people. Um, I just want to see everyone succeed. <laughs> I know, right? Um, That's the thing. I, I want to see all these bands do something and have success because they're all great. Um, them dirty roses. Yes. They're really fun. Um, and then an Ohio band, the lonely ones. I'm excited to see them kind of, you know, get a bigger audience, release some new songs because they don't have too much going up right now, but. I'm excited to see what they release in the future based off of what they have already released. During my interview with Dax Nielsen, he mentioned this band uh, from St. Louis called Feel, which I, I checked out. They're really, them. really good. They opened up for Cheap Trick, I think, in St. Louis, and uh, he was blown away by them. So they're a band that I think uh, I think they're going to be releasing some new music here this year. Um, but yeah, they're they're a really really good band. I will have to check them out. I because I spend so much time looking up new artists. Uh, some of my friends like to play this game of whether I've heard of the band or not, and they always get so excited if I'm like, "Oh, I actually don't know that one." <laughs> so you got one for me that I'll have to look up later. Well, no, I mean, it's kind of like what we do, right? We listen to a lot mm-hmm. of music. We get a lot of emails of people trying to submit stuff and, you know, get on the show on, on, on my end. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, there was a point, I think, um, like last year where I had like a two month, like schedule or I was already scheduled out on new music spotlights and it's a great problem to have. Right. Mm. But yeah. you also want to get every band out there to, you know, that you like to be on the show. And sometimes it takes a little longer than, than you'd hope. I guess that's probably the only aggravation I have with, with that and that aspect. Um, mm-hmm. because I'm like you, when I hear something that I like, I really want to tell everybody about it. I want to have as many people as I can listen to them. Um, mm-hmm. but I can't, I get really frustrated. Yes. <laughs> I understand that completely. 
So this rebranding that you're going through and everything, I mean, it, it sounds like you guys, I mean, obviously you're, you're still at the very beginning of what you do, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like it's ever evolving, which is great. Uh, I almost get the impression that you will always keep evolving as you keep moving forward. I mean, I, I, I like the fact that you don't want to stay in place and run in place for, for very long. Right. I, yeah, I think we always will evolve. And, you know, I think sometimes some of our interests will change and maybe people don't want to write as much. They want to host interviews. And I think it's also important to look at how people are consuming um, information now. And do they want to read my two page review or would they rather listen to me talk about the show that I went to. So um, I think it's important to always kind of look to see how you can better what you're doing and move with the times and move with what you're passionate about. You spoke at the beginning of the interview about writing and where your background is. What What is, is your background prior to, to, to banded PR? Uh, My background is a little bit of everything. I have worked in radio promotions. Um, I worked for a PR agency that focused on sports and entertainment. Um, I worked for Live Nation, working marketing for music festivals. Um, But I've also always been a writer. Um, I've been writing for different outlets since college, whether it was my own blog um, music sites, um, professional websites. Um, so writing has always been in there in some capacity. Yeah. I, um, I was always one to love reading a magazine or a newspaper and, you know, it's becoming a newspaper. The, the whole medium is, is pretty much, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee a lot of newspapers around in terms of being in print, actual print over the next decade. Um, and you know, you mentioned about do people want to read an article? And, you know, sadly, I just, you know, the way trends are going, everybody wants their information very quickly and summarize very short in, in a small piece and then move on to the next thing. And it's an, I mean, really, if you want to compare it to music, you know, you release a song on Friday or Thursday or whenever you do, by Monday, Tuesday, people are on to something else. And it has a lot to do with the attention span of people. And I just think if you're not adapting to it, you're unfortunately, you're just not going to survive. That's just the way it is right now. Right. Yeah. If you're not adapting and catching their attention in that, like, first three to five seconds, you're going to lose them. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate because I always... I always like an article that's really in depth and tells me a lot about the subject matter. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not just a form of entertainment. It's a form of education. I think that's what Mm -hmm. I think goes missing when you try to condense something to make it short, quick, and easy for the viewing audience. Mm -hmm. I think at the end of the day, a lot of us really enjoy writing. And so even if we do evolve, I think there will still be those, long form pieces um, because we are really passionate about album releases or shows we experienced. And sometimes you just got to write it out. 
And I think that's the best way to get it out. So that'll be there for the people like you uh, who do want to read. <laughs> well, I just think that's the that's kind of like the hidden the hidden secret about reading a long article is because you learn stuff like you learn about whether it's an artist, whether it's about a subject matter. You really. I think a lot of times the way our society is now, they become people have become headline readers. Mm-hmm. And they think they know a story or they think they know something based on the headline that they read, not the body of work that was underneath it, which right. tells you and puts everything into context. So, yeah, I think that's that's a dangerous thing when you know people think they're knowledgeable because of the headline that they and that's why you see headlines. If You're a writer. So that's why you see headlines over the last 20 years slowly evolve to. Mm-hmm having more of an impact with what the headline says than what the article says. Like I'll, I'll talk to people and say, Oh, this person was disappointed with the organization. You know, I'm talking about a sports team. I'm like, Oh, where'd you read that? I'm like, well, it was on the, in the paper. I'm like, well, that's what the headline said that this person was disappointed, but it gave reason in context as to why they were. Mm-hmm. So again, I mean, it's affecting the way people absorb information, which. Mm-hmm. Explains a lot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly does. <laughs> Rebecca, it's been a, a joy talking with you and look forward to having you on again because I really like what your your vision is and I like what you're you're doing with Banded PR. And um, I really enjoy checking out your social media and uh, uh, looking forward to continuing to do that. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I've definitely among great company with the guests you've had. Um, so it's been a pleasure talking with you. Well, we got to do it again. And um, everyone listening, check out the show notes and you can find all the social media and all of the, of the website, everything. So check all that out. Go visit Bandit PR's social media, give them a follow, um, subscribe to them, whatever whatever platform you choose to visit them, please do. And uh, this is Jay Scott. And thanks again for tuning in. I always appreciate it. Take care of each other and we will talk soon. Thanks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 